so we, we talk at times these days about common sense, right? Sometimes we say, man, we wish more people in the world had more common sense, right? Uh, I think that's a common phrase, and um, I love the story. I, I have about a thousand stories that I can share with you that are incredibly embarrassing in my own life, um, but I'm going to share a friend of mine, his experience that he had, because it's a lot more fun talking about other people than yourself, right? So, so my friend was a dad, he's a dad, I'm sorry, he, um, his son was about six years old, and they were in a rec center swimming pool, and it was kind of like our rec center that I go to, and it um, is one of those things where like the restroom, the proximity to the restroom is not close. It involves hallways and is in a little bit of stairs. And so his son looks at his dad and he's like six years old. And he's like, dad, I really, really got to go to the bathroom. And um, his dad, you, you know, you can just hear kind of mentally him processing all of the effort and drying off and all of the things that it's going to cost. And, and so finally he leans over to his little buddy and he says, hey man, like, like just go ahead and pee in the pool. And, and, uh, and, you know, the little guy is kind of thinking about it. Dad's telling him what to do, but uh, he's not sure. And, um, and, and so he, he, you know, pushes back with dad a little bit. Dad, I'm, uh, I don't know. And there were other siblings. And, and so finally, um, the, the, the guy forgot that this dialogue had happened. And then he could just feel in the entire, um, you know, center, something weird was going on. And he turns and looks around and he sees his son standing outside of the pool, peeing in the pool, right? Uh, like, and at that moment, you know, you just, uh, I, I hope he got banished from school altogether. I mean, from that pool forever, right? You, you know, it's, it's funny about the decisions we make. I could share about a thousand of those, not quite that bad, um, but, but decisions that I wish I could have a redo on, right? Like that you wish you could go back in time and maybe choose differently. And this morning, as we continue our study through the book of Philippians, I'm, I'm loving this series, the, the idea that God desires for us to experience true joy in our life, that he's also today, what we're going to talk about is he's provided for us what we need in order to experience pure joy, especially when it comes to the decisions of our life. And I, I think about decisions. Today, we'll talk about discernment. Uh, we'll talk about God's provision for our discernment. And I'll just remind you, I'll say this multiple times today, that it is my conviction, and I believe God's word teaches this, that God's provided for us everything that we need to make wise decisions in our life. That he's provided for us the capability and the strength and the, the capacity to be able to make wise decisions in our life. And so um, often, though, I think when we think about wise decisions, we think about them in the context of maybe who we're going to marry or we're going to go to college or if we're going to go to college or what our major is going to be. These major, massive, life change decisions. And I'll just suggest you, you, you make a handful of those in your life. Those are important. But I think our life is lived in the intimate details of just the mundane stuff. How is it that we respond to the moment-by-moment -moment decisions that life throws at us? And today I want to celebrate with you the fact that God's given us what we need to make great decisions. And I will also suggest that sometimes common sense is actually not good enough for us. 
in fact, often common sense like my buddy in the pool that day um, have the potential of actually doing things in our own life that cause great harm or discouragement. The rules of the world that we live in often are to consume and enjoy, to, you know, if I have an appetite, I should feed it, um, that often it's out for what's best for us. And those are some of the values in our culture. And, and so common sense is actually not what we're going to see God's word challenging us to have but instead, I believe that God aspires and desires for you and I to be people who have uncommon sense. And what I mean by that, we'll see in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said, broad is the road that leads to destruction, but narrow is the path that leads to life. And so when we talk about sense and common sense, we're, we're going to kind of back up a little bit and we're going to say we all make decisions uh, we all have to make decisions with the data that we have at the time that we have it. But I think for some of us, it is a bit like the self-destruct button that a person pushes in their own life that causes great harm and pain in the decisions of life. They actually can assassinate the joy that we have in our life. And I want to encourage you, if you stick with me this morning, that I think there's great joy in the fact that God's provided for us what we need to make decisions in our life, that we're going to talk about spiritual discernment today. And then it would help us to make sure that we apply this truth appropriately. If you think about right now some of the decisions that are on the horizon for you, what are some of the, I'll, I'll say this today, I think many of the decisions that we make, we make in the heat of the moment and it's difficult, but uh, it is possible for us to make decisions based on um, guessing what's ahead and also discerning what's right. And we'll talk about discernment today and testing uh, what is on the horizon for us. But I want you to think about those decisions that you have. And I want you to just allow the words of the Apostle Paul to encourage you as we recognize that discernment is a spiritual act of choosing God's best in our life. Uh, listen to, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. Uh, begin with me in verse 9. I want you to hear this truth. You'll hear it a bunch of times because it's well contained. Uh, it's very helpful and I think it's very clear. He says this, the Apostle Paul writes to his beloved church in Philippi while he's shackled to a Roman guard. He models great joy and also encouragement here. He says, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. I get this image of a fountain flowing over. That your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. Those two combined together are quite powerful. So that you may approve what is excellent. And you may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This phrase, approve what is excellent, is uh, really, I think, one of the, the challenges of our life, is to be able to choose the best from the good. Um, it is to be able to weigh something and to decide if it is the right choice for us moving forward. I, I like the way that, that Thomas Constable, one of my professors in seminary, puts it. He said, 
They said most of the choices that a spiritual believer faces are not between morally good and morally evil things. Let me pause there before I finish the quote. I think, I think often we're like, you know, we know murder's bad. We know stealing's bad. We know that there are things that we would say we would never do. And so he says it's not often these great big moral things. Uh, most of the choices that a spiritual believer faces is not between morally good and morally evil things, but between things of lesser and greater value. So, so what's the best choice for me? And I want to encourage you. I want to celebrate with you this morning that God cares about us getting this right. I, I love to say God cares more about me figuring out his will than what you do. No offense, right? Uh, that God cares more about me figuring out his will than what I do. And that's partially because he's sovereign. He knows what tomorrow will hold. He cares about us. He tells us if we lack wisdom uh, that we can seek him and he will give it to us. But, but I want us to make sure that we catch when we talk about approving the best things or the, the great things that we're sensitive to the fact that, that they do like a snowfall pile up. We all know about, is it, is it rude to talk about snow this time of year, right? I, I think it is. It's kind of wrong, right? I'm sorry. I'll, I'll stop it. But, uh, but we understand that it's the tiny specks of snow that land and they pile up to cause the mess that's around us, right? And I want us to catch this. That works for both good decisions in our life as they combine together, but also the devastating decisions of our life. That that they, like, we look at somebody like Judas, the man who betrayed the Lord Jesus Christ. And you recognize when he went to follow Jesus, I don't believe that he wanted to be a thief. I don't believe that he wanted to ultimately betray the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't believe that he wanted to commit suicide in embarrassment and shame. But instead, there were patterns. And we get these tiny glimpses of his life of times where he made the wrong thing his priority and then in that slow drift it ultimately led him to be in a point of destruction. King David reminds me of that, that snow that, that falls and it compiles up into to a avalanche that causes chaos. And, and a later in his life when we're told in scripture that he ought to have been with the kings that were out at war, but instead he's at home and he ends up looking uh, over on a roof of something that God had not given to him. And it led him to murder. It led him to great chaos and pain and discouragement in his life. And it's, I think it's appropriate for us to say often it's not the giant things, the clear right and wrong things that are right in front of us today. But it's the slight, subtle, difficult, challenging decisions that we have to look at. And What's appropriate for us to recognize here when it says, approve what is excellent, that I just want to encourage you. God's given you what you need to be able to do that. That he gives us the ability to examine or to test what is before us so that we can decide what's best. So um, we, we had uh, given to us from a family member who'd passed away jewelry. And uh, I think probably on your way to church uh, today, you probably drove by about 15 of those We Buy Gold stores. You guys know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, and, and so we, we took in these items not knowing if there was anything of value and there was nothing of value in there. Um, but one of the things that they have the capability of doing is obviously they can tell if something is solid gold, 24 karat gold, pure or they can tell if it's been mixed together to appear like gold, 
but it's something different. And I, I think that when we talk about this testing and approving what's excellent, is that th this really actually boils down to my understanding and your understanding of the character of God. When God says to me not to do something, is he trying to steal something away from me? Or is he actually giving me an act of loving kindness? I think in our belief, if we believe that he's stealing something from us, then we go into a mode where we hide and we steal and we take what not, what's not been given to us. But if we believe actually that his loving kindness is the thing that, that propels his love on us and ought to inspire us to, to love and good deeds, like it says in Romans, God's loving kindness ought to lead us to righteousness, then we understand carefully there that this approving what is best is not stealing anything away from us, but instead it's allowing us to rest in his divine provision for us. And I'll just remind you, his divine power has given us not some of, but it's given us everything that we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him who called us. That's worth like an amen or something, you know? That he, he's given us exactly what we need. And, and I'll just remind you of this, that God's given us what we need to choose wisely. I think uh, you guys remember the old days when you had to have a map and, and the irony of the big AAA map was that it like, covered the windshield so you couldn't like use it when you're driving, right? And then uh, I remember I lost my mind when the first GPS uh, you know, system. I think it was so small, I couldn't see anything on it. But I'm like, are you kidding me? There's a thing in my car that can tell me where to go. I still get lost, right? Um, but but the, the Lord has given us the divine GPS that, and I see it in Paul's encouragement to the church in Philippi. He's given us what we need through knowledge and discernment to allow us to be people who are on the narrow path. I think it's appropriate for us to understand it's not just an awareness of God's word. When, it, when in Psalms it says, your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path, that it is actually a thing of action, right? It's a thing of, it's not just that I know God's truth, but it's that I've actually used God's truth to impact the decisions that I make in my life. I think for some of us, we treat God like he's a, like a divination rod, that he uh, I actually had somebody do that one time. They lost their keys and they're like, all right, Holy Spirit, where's the keys? Is it to the left or to the right? And then they take a few steps and I'm like watching. I'm like, I hope this works. This is awesome. Uh, but we, we never found the keys, you know? Uh, I think for some of us, we use God's word. I, I like to call it Christian roulette. You know, we're like, should I marry this person? You know, and then, uh, and, and you understand that that is actually wrongly handling the word of truth. It's inappropriate. It's not how God's word works. And so I think that it's essential for us to understand when we say that God has given us what we need to choose rightly, um, that part of this knowledge that allows us to have discernment means that we have God's word in our life. I'll encourage you uh, that you need to saturate your life with the truth of God's word. I also see in the text here this phrase that um, is spiritual guidance. And when it uses the phrase through Jesus Christ, um, as we approve what is excellent, um, uh, I think it's helpful for us to understand that the Holy Spirit helps us. He is involved in the decisions of our life. He reminds us of what it is that God desires of us, and it's a blessing to experience that. I think we see that modeled in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, when it tells us when we're tempted with sin, 
that the Lord provides for us a way out. Um, that he gives us the will to act, that we are no longer a slave to sin, that we don't have the excuse that some will hide behind. And I've heard it this week. I heard it. I had to. I had no choice. Um, I think that for the believer, that's, that's a lie, actually, that we get to choose between honoring the Lord's will in our life or ignoring it. And I think it's appropriate for us to recognize that God has given us what we need. Uh, but I'll, I'll be very practical here and say, I think it's been wisely said that pre-made decisions are often the best made decisions. Somebody like Joseph in scripture was a man who was tempted in a very difficult position. But I have to believe that prior to the temptation that was given to him, he had decided already how he would respond in that circumstance. So someone has said it well, a mentor of mine, he used to say the best time to deal with the problem is when there is no problem. And I think for some of us that are especially under the pressure of bad decisions that we need to start pre-making decisions. I think it's appropriate to say we need more than common sense. You guys know what I mean by common sense. We look around and we see it or we see the lack thereof today. But I'll just want you to hear the words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount when he says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. Uh, what, what he's saying there is those who are not believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, those who are around us, there are many of them and they are making choices that are destroying themselves. Uh, the way that he describes it here, he calls it the easy path. Um, I, I, think of, I think of those water slides that you get on and you don't get halfway down a water slide and decide that you don't want to be on it anymore, right? Like you're, you've got momentum, you're moving towards something. And I, I think of the easy path. Everything around us, I believe, in the world that's around us desires for us to neglect and ignore the things that offer us life. So when it says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter it by it are many, then he goes on to say, for the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And then he, he doesn't just end there. I like the way he finishes it. And he says, and those who find it are few. There is a path that God has for us, but the desire is for each one of us to have more than just common sense. Supernatural, God-inspired wisdom is what he desires for us. I want you to also notice in the text, there's an emphasis on love. And uh, I, I think we, we talk about love a lot these days. You know, we talk about falling in love. Um, but the incredible thing about falling in love is if it's just an emotion, we can fall out of it pretty quickly as well, Right. Um, and I, I look at this, this phrase here when Paul begins and he says, and it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge that this isn't just all you need is love. This isn't blind love, but actually it's, it's love that understands the object of its affection. It's directed love. And we get to choose what we love in the world that's around us. And um, without having discretion about what you love, you might um, make a form of idolatry out of things that aren't the best things for us to love. So mindful discernment allows us to love the right things. And I think that's really important. And I think we also recognize, especially those of us who um, have deep, intimate, personal relationships, that sometimes you just don't feel like you love somebody 
Um, sometimes you don't feel like the people who are around you are easy to love. Um, just ask my wife. She can tell you all about that. But it doesn't mean that we stop choosing to love. And when I read these words from the Apostle Paul, the man who embodied joy in the midst of great crisis, even in times of people letting him down, his affirmation and encouragement to them was to have a flood of love flow out of their life through their choices. And so when he says, and it is my prayer that you love, your love may abound more and more. It's not just reckless everywhere kind of love, but he says, with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent. In other words, you may love what's best. You may invest and even worship what is best. So I think love is not blind, but it's fully aware. And that's God's love for you and I. I think this leads us to the second point this morning. The first being discernment is the spiritual act of choosing God's best. The second is choosing God's best comes at a cost, um, but, but I celebrate the fact that it pays high dividends. Um, as we look at the text here, it talks about being ready in the capacity to approve what's best, and it requires in that process us to neglect what is not. I want us to be practical as we talk about this. The the word at the, at the center of this is purity. And I think the concept of purity is something that is misunderstood. I think often we think of somebody, I used to do as a youth pastor, a purity retreat. And uh, I noticed when you'd say something like that, people didn't like it. It sounded either judgmental or it felt weird. I think part of that, if we're transparent, is that we all recognize that we've made mistakes in our life, that we have areas that we've needed forgiveness so it can feel as if what, what we're saying is one person is more pure than another. But the text is fascinating. It combines the term purity, which actually means that something has been weighed or judged, or it's been um, sifted, or it's been um, considered carefully. And then the other is blameless. And that means having nothing to strike against it. I I hate getting dressed in my home in the dark, uh, but sometimes I get up before my wife and we have this little thing that helps the dog get on the bed and I kick that thing every night. I mean, almost every time. And I promise I don't cuss too often when it happens, but I, I have that moment where I'm like, are you kidding me, right? And, and this, this term being blameless, it actually means to not put a stumbling block in front of someone else. And so here when he says, that we ought to be people who are pure and blameless, that we recognize that he's talking about something that's important. I think we, we say we don't like the idea of purity and maybe because it feels condescending, but, but we sure want the people who are taking care of our food to do a nice job of it, don't we? Uh, my, my wife and I were overseas and we were invited to a nice dinner and uh, the family was preparing the dinner as we were getting ready to eat. And uh, they had this giant island. It was really nice. And they were making mashed potatoes. Have you guys ever heard the phrase, you don't want to see how they make the sausage? You guys heard this? Okay, I'm going to tell you one of those stories, right? So, so they're working on the mashed potatoes. The potatoes are boiled. They have all the ingredients that they're going to put in it. And their giant golden retriever gets up on the table and just takes out like half the potatoes, you know, you know, slobber all over it. And I don't know if the, um, the, the, the hostess 
knew that Allie and I saw it. Oh, but oh, we saw it. And, uh, and then she proceeded to just stir it all up, you know? And so, so I, I promise you, I ate my mashed potatoes that day. Um, but, but, but I was thinking about how nasty it was, right? I want you to catch this about this concept of purity. Think about it being weighed or sifted or cared for. That, that this description is actually more personal than this. That, that God's desire for us to be people who choose what's best. And I often think about purity from maybe a different perspective. And it's not that we hide it or we ignore it or we fake it. I think that's common in our culture to, to appear more spiritual than what we actually are. But instead, when I think about purity, I just think in my own personal walk with the Lord, that there have been things that the Lord has taught me um, just through obedience. He says not to do it, and I choose not to do it. And over time, often what happens is that I learn the why behind it. And so we can think of God saying that, like, not to do something. And for some of us, we feel like God is stealing something from us, that he's taking away some level of joy or an opportunity or an experience. And, and I'll be frank with you, and I'll just say, over time in my life, what I've often found out is actually the Lord was just choosing to protect me from having to learn that lesson through the school of hard knocks. I had an incredibly awkward job when I was in seminary, uh, but it was a great one. I um, I taught abstinence, um, uh, did an abstinence-based education program in public schools. So I was in auditoriums and classrooms, and I was the guy standing up telling people um, decisions about why uh, God's best or, or a, a great way to make decisions in your life is to wait to have physical intimacy until you're married. So let's just say it was awkward. You guys understand what I'm talking about. There were pictures. It was weird, okay? Um, but, uh, but, but I can tell you that one of the most meaningful things in my life, at that point, Allie and I were um, engaged. We were getting ready to get married. We were making our own decisions about uh, our investment in our marriage and intimacy. And and I just remember, I'm going to take God at his word. I'm going to trust him. And as I was sharing these things in public schools, it probably happened a dozen times that there would be a teacher. Sometimes it was a security guard. Sometimes it was a, caf uh, a, a cafeteria person who worked at the school who would come up and they would say, he or she would say, hey, thank you for sharing that. I never heard that when I was a kid. And these were the decisions that I made in my life, and it's impacted my ability to have a family or impacted my ability to stay married. Or They would share these things, and they were so incredibly intimate. They were so vulnerable. But what, what I often found myself doing was just saying, like, thank you, Lord, for not forcing me to have to go through learning that lesson from life's painful experiences. I think God gives us the freedom to make decisions that uh, impact our life and sometimes carry the painful decisions that we carry with us. And I think at other times, he loves us enough to share with us his best. And so when we make these decisions based upon approving what's best, again, I don't believe that the perspective is God's trying to steal something away from us. And, and I think that gets reinforced. We, we kind of live in a misery loves company kind of, of world. Uh, I think we, we have these, these concepts. Maybe that my friend, when he makes this decision, everybody pees in the pool, right? You know? And, and we, we kind of have this mindset. And in some ways, what we want to do is we want everybody to join us in our experience. And I think somehow it makes us feel better. 
So this idea of purity or of blamelessness or self-judgment is not nasty. It's not evil. It's not despicable. It doesn't steal anything away. I actually believe it's a kind gift from the Lord. But there's an inherent warning in this, and I could not enjoy this quote from William Barclay anymore. I want you to see this because I find it to be such a good warning and a gentle reminder to those of us who are Christ followers. He says, there are people who are themselves faultless. And I'll just add my own air quotes to that. I, I don't know if I've met that person. I am certainly not that person. Uh, but I think there's people who maybe consider themselves faultless, maybe like the, the, younger, the older brother in the story of the prodigal son. There are people who, who are themselves faultless, but who are so hard and harsh and austere that they, in their end, drive people away from Christianity. This is in their perspective that they treat others a kind of in a holier-than-thou perspective. There are people who are good, but they are so critical of others that they repel other people from goodness. Uh, and I love how he, he says this. The Christian is himself pure, but his love and his gentleness are such that he attracts others to the Christian way and never repels them from it. I, I see this in the lifestyle of Jesus. I see this in the mindset of the Apostle Paul, that there's a winsomeness about his understanding of being a sinner saved by grace. How does a person get over being a persecutor, literally a, a, um, a, a portion of the murderer of Christ followers? How does he become later someone who's able to care for and advance the cause of Christianity because he understands grace. He understands the need for all of us to experience grace. And, and Paul modeled that. I hope we model that in our lives as well. And so I, I see in a recognition of God's goodness that we have to be people who neglect. I, I like the word. Somebody said it. Well, starve uh, what is not best and feed what is best in our life. I think that's helpful. A second thought in this idea of this second point of God, God giving us um, the, the cost of obedience is um, a recognition for each one of us um, that, that God choosing God's best protects you and I from destruction. Uh, I've used the word self-destruction. Uh, I think self-sabotage is a part of that. Attacks can come from others, but they often come from ourselves. And I I think that it's appropriate for us to recognize in this pre-making decision commitment uh, that if you and I don't choose, there will be other people who make choices for us. And so we, we recognize that uh, this is a part of the preparation process for us to be prepared for eternity. I want you to notice this in the text. At the end here, it says, so that you may be prove what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Uh, there's a recognition that we have a graduation day on the horizon. Uh, there's a recognition that the Lord's going to return, that this isn't the final story. Our comfort and pleasure isn't the highest value that we experience, although some live that way. He says, then we are filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. I, I love that concept of being filled. It's, it's a concept in scripture. Be filled with the spirit, not drunk with wine is what we're taught. The idea of being filled means there's no space for anything else in your life. It's saturated. You're full. And I think that this, this beautiful image of righteousness, I can almost picture the Apostle Paul again 
chained to a guard or guards under house arrest, not knowing if the next day he's going to be put to death uh, or go, be put on trial falsely because of the accusations that had been placed upon him. And I can just picture him seeing a, a fruit tree outside of his home. And, and I can just picture him just saying, like, I aspire for this for you, that you experience the fruit of righteousness that comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ. For some of you, there's no fruit of righteousness because you're still literally a slave to sin. Uh, but for some of us that have been called a slave to righteousness for his name's sake, that, that I want you to think about fruit for a second. I don't know what your favorite fruit is. I, I love all kinds of different fruits, but it is interesting that you get that banana when it's still green and it tastes very different than when it's at its perfect space, right? When it's sweet and, and this description is something that says that, that God desires of us to be able to ripen in the right time and to be able to experience the blessing. For some of us, that's our eternal promise. For others of us, that's going to be fruit that has evidenced the fruit of the Spirit in our life. But this comes through our relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I want to challenge you this morning as we, we look at our own decisions that we want to avoid those decisions that destroy us and destroy those who are around us. I want to challenge you to consider applying this in a couple of ways. First, first way is I want to challenge you to consider praying more when it comes to the decisions that you have in your life. I, I'll do Some of you have met with me in my office and um, there's an awkward pause sometimes where I'll just say, hey, like, let's just take a minute then let's pray. And part of what I'm doing there is I'm admitting, like, I don't know what the right answer is right now. I don't know what the, the solution to this challenge is. I, I don't know what the next right step is, but let's take a minute and let's just, just, let's just pray. Let's just ask God to give us wisdom and discernment. And I often think, like, what would Jesus, how would he respond to this situation? I did it multiple times in my office this last week because uh, I see this in Paul when he says, I, my prayer for you is that your love may abound more and more. I think he's sharing with us one of those divine mysteries that we get to experience, and that is our prayer impacts um, our future, that God allows prayer to impact our future. So we recognize it's important, right? Uh, a, a second way when it comes to discernment is I want to encourage you to recognize that there's something appropriate in weighing through the pros and cons of the decisions in our life. And we ought to always hold them up against the guidebook that the Lord's given us in his word. And we allow his word to be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. But we take God's word in its context, apply it rightly to our circumstances, and it can help us. I think the discovery program is going to help some of us to grow in our capacity to make spiritual decisions because we're going to be deliberate about going through a process of hearing his voice together. And so I want to encourage you to increase your wisdom and knowledge of God's word and use it as a lamp unto your feet. I also want to encourage you to search your heart and to determine what is your perspective of God. Is your perspective of God that you believe that your job is to hide from him because he wants to steal from something from you. If that's the case, I want to challenge you. You don't know the God that I worship well. Because his desire for each and every one of us is our best. And I, and I want to challenge you, if that's not your perspective, that it's appropriate for you 
to re-recognize, like Nicodemus had to in his, in his old age, that the Lord that we worship and serve can give us the ability. He's not in the shame business. He's not in the one that reminds us of all our wrongdoings. He's not there to harm us, but instead he offered to you and I the ability to be literally what he told Nicodemus to be born again. That I can give you a redo, a start over in order for you to grow in your wisdom and knowledge and understanding of God. So, so I celebrate that fact. For some of us, maybe it's time for us to do that. I, I, I remind you that God's given us everything we need for discernment. We don't have the excuse that we are just going with the flow because he warned us that going with the flow or common sense actually leaves us in a pretty dangerous place. But having supernatural sense, trusting the Lord in our decisions, I can say this for me in my own life. I haven't always gotten it right, but in the times that I've taken God at his word, every time that I've taken God at his word in my life, I have been deeply blessed. And I want to encourage you and challenge you to consider what is it that you're using in your life to make decisions? Is it the truth of God's word? Is it following the work of Christ? And if you're doing that, I think it doesn't matter what circumstances you run into. Difficult bosses, tough teachers, challenging relationships. Now here, the Apostle Paul's in probably the worst of relationships or circumstances. And yet he was able to respond with great joy. Why? Because of the fact that he was obeying his Lord. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. And I thank you for your word. And I just thank you for your joy that is our strength. I pray for each and every person that's here that you would allow us to reflect in our own life. Uh, Maybe it boils down to, as much as anything, our perspective of who you are, Uh, our belief that you are a God who is good, um, that you have our best interest in mind, that you ultimately love us. I pray that that love would abound in our life, even as we worship you Um, in our tithes and offerings as we worship you right now through our singing uh, here. Lord, I just pray that uh, we recognize that when we worship, we're giving worship to you, that we're declaring your glory, uh, that we understand and we're responding to your faithfulness to us. And so, uh, Lord, I believe you're worthy of our praise. I believe you're worthy of our best. And I want to pray for each and every one of us today that you'd search our hearts and where we began this morning, that you'd reveal in us anything that's not of you. And uh, Lord, I thank you that your grace is sufficient. Your power is made perfect in our weakness, that you can allow us to go from death to life through your work. We love you. We thank you for this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'd like